we have a new entry here for our Lifeblood of Boxing series. It's been a while since I recorded it, but we are due for the month of June. The only reason it took as long as it did was it was a bit of a toss-up between two fighters. I think now was the best time to do it. Timing was perfect because the fighter I'm going to cover recently was in a battle, and I think it's good for me to just kind of put this one out. He's one of my favorite fighters, has been one of my favorite fighters for years. I followed his story. I was inspired by his story to a great degree, and I wanted to share what I feel about this. And there's a lot that people don't know because nobody did the research, and unfairly so. A lot in the boxing community, they ignore the lesser classes, the lower, the lightweights, you know, the flyweights, and so on. But I think they're the most exciting fighters in the business, arguably, today. And the one I want to cover is only one of many that really goes out there and tries to entertain the fans every time out. But there's a lot to his story. And I want to share that with you for June's episode of Lifeblood of Boxing. This is Sri Saket Soar Rungvizai. And there's a joke behind his name because a lot, that's not really actually his real name for those that don't know. His real name is Wasakso Wankek. And I'm, if you want to know the spelling, you can always Google search it. But the way that these work, mostly around Thailand fighters, there's a lot of them. So you'll see like Knockout CP Freshmart, uh, Pechmani Freshmart. Their name, their boxing name, their promoted names. So let's go down a couple of the ones that I'm aware of. Um, Ocean Sor Jida Jim. Sor Sok Jim. Um... I can't think of any off the top of my head beyond this. Then not the pool gym. So what happens is their promotion name is truly a promotion name. They're, they take parts of sponsorships and they build kind of this promotion name. That's what happened here with, with Rungvizai. And so the Sri Saket is a location out there. Uh, and then Rungvizai is part of a promotional. And I don't know exactly the background of the promotion specific just given the story that the names they're put together to, to basically promote. So he has a very intriguing story. When he started, he started back, I want to say 20, maybe 24 years ago, 23 years ago. He started, went pro when I say started turn pro. And early on, if you were ever looking at his record, you'll see that he lost his first couple of fights. He got knocked out. Then he goes to a draw. What people don't know is he was told to throw those fights. So the story is that he had a management company that he was that he started under when he went pro. This company was making shady deals to basically set him up to take losses so they could financially benefit off of him. He didn't make hardly any money for any of his early fights. When he takes these losses because he's told to and then eventually takes the draw, and I want to say it was around... 2010-ish, maybe early 2010 or late 2009, somewhere around here, he tells the story that he had he was having a hard time. He was having a hard time feeding his family. He was not feeding himself. He was actually eating out of garbage. He had to do something to survive during this really rough time. He figures out that this is happening underneath the hood. In early 2010, he fights Kenji Oba. Kenji Oba is a very well-known fighter out of Japan. Fights Kenji Oba, takes a loss. It's not a knockout loss. He, he loses by a decision. But then, and Kenji Oja, Oba then would later retire uh, from the business with a really good record. 
So at least it wasn't like a soft touch where he's just taking a knockout loss when he shouldn't have, because he should not have lost either of those fights. He realizes this is happening. He realizes that his team's not got his best interest. He switches it up. He gets rid of them, gets a whole new team. And then as, as of mid 2010, all the way, and I'm stressing this all the way for four years, he goes on this amazing streak of just absolute destruction of fighters, including some really good fighters People will dismiss some of the fighters, but the truth is he was fighting good fighters that he beat along the way. Alvin Baez at the time, although he is regional only, was a really good fighter. This is for a regional title, but he was a really good fighter at the time, was Baez. This is 2012 that he fights him. And Shrisak is just getting knockout after knockout or stoppage. There was a couple of headbutt type losses. The point is, he was just dominating and dominating and dominating. Alvin Baez was never the same after, you know, Srisak had destroyed him, never the same as a fighter. And people would say, well, Baez was soft, had his soft touches. Yes, but you got to understand that so was Srisak, so was everybody around that time because it's regional. When you're a regional fighter, you don't get big name outside of the region. That's why it's regional type fighting but you still have to recognize your successes at a regional level compared to everybody else because not everybody can do it, especially given the age that we're talking about here. So based on what we're talking about here, I'm pretty sure that Sharice Kent must have debuted. I want to say he must have debuted really young. Like I think he debuted before he was 18, went pro before he was 18. I believe this is true because he's only 35 now. So yeah, he did. Yeah. So you're talking teenagers here, so I'm not going to fault them for the level of competition because of when he debuted and what he was dealing with at the time. I'm giving him a pass. The people in the regional at the time were finding the best that were available to them, and unfortunately, this is all Thailand, and Thailand spits out a lot of fighters. They Even now, they do. So of who was there, Alvin Baez was arguably one of the best. So Shreesket wins a regional title, just completely knocks the guy out. Baez was never the same after that knockout. I don't think that was televised. I'm pretty sure it wasn't. And But he wins a regional title. This regional title then sets him up. Now, there's a weird thing going on with the titles at the time. So Shreesket gets his first title. This is a vacant title for the WBC, and it's the Asian Boxing Council, which is a regional subset of WBC. He wins the vacant in 2011. And then I'm pretty sure he either vacated it or something else happened because he never lost that title. But then he has, he wins it over and over and over again. And, or they are even some sub-regional, like maybe even local type regional. Like it's a weird thing where he's winning titles, but they're all the same title, if that makes any sense. Regardless, after Baez, he goes on. This earns him a title shot against the current WBC champion. So this is the actual WBC champion, Yota Sato. Yota Sato was, now he, Yota Sato was not just regional. Yota Sato comes from Japan. So he had fought locally in Japan. He built himself up and then he started going overseas to defend the title at, at, for this, uh, for Shrisaket. And Shrisaket completely blows him out of the water. Now, Yota Sato, again, was a decent level fighter. I would not call him A level, 
but he was a decent old fighter for what it was. He fought some really tough competition on the way up. The problem with Sato, I believe, in my opinion, is that Sato was never, he never had the killer instinct of the hunger that got him the title. It was more like he, he kind of breezed into the title. He fought a good opponent to get the title, but I'm saying that he was never like killer instinct to get titles. He was just kind of, he was positioned very, very well against opponents that he should arguably beat, even though they were not soft touches. They were solid. They had proven themselves locally to Japan. But again, because it's regional, uh, many of the Japanese fighters, and Japanese fighters are a different breed for the regional because they actually have solid competition. You know, people that don't take a lot of losses, people that have a lot of fights under their belt, people that have a lot of experience and rounds in the books. So I'm saying that <clears throat> from my opinion, Yota Sato would have been the biggest test of Srisket's career at the time, especially because he's the champion, and Srisket makes easy work of him, stops him in what I thought was a really, really good fight and a good showing. And it's not that Sato wasn't trying, but Srisket was too much. It was this fight that told me that there was something about this guy and he was going to go on to do great things because he showed that he was hungry and he was back and the stuff in the past needed to be forgotten and was not should not be used as a model of who he was going to be in the future. He goes on and defends that title. Now, as he defends the title, he's knocking guys out. I mean, he literally is just blowing people out of the water. There was one time he didn't knock a guy out that I thought he should have knocked out. But other than that, he's knocking him out, blowing him out. Now, the downside is he stayed regional. He never took his title outside of his region in Thailand until he met Carlos Quadras in 2014. So this is a year later. But he had, he built up. So what I'm saying is, is that he built up local experience, which is great. But he never got outside of it. He had to travel to defend the title just like he had to travel in order to fight Sato. To fight Quadras in Mexico. Of course, Mexico is Quadras' hometown. This fight with Carlos Quadras, if you get a chance to see this fight, I think it was a really good fight. Unfortunately, unfortunately, and I'm, I'm frustrated to this day about this fight because I think this fight mentally might have changed him a little bit. Uh, three seconds, because... When you looked at the cards, arguably, Srisaket was losing on the cards in a very close contested battle. But what happens is there's a headbutt that happens somewhere, I want to say in like the second quarter of the fight, points are taken off because it was ruled as intentional. Because there was a bit of a frustration from Srisaket. You could see it in the way he was fighting. He was like really frustrated. After this headbutt, Quadras gets a cut, and I'm pretty sure the cut started building, right? So I, I'm pretty sure that the headbutt happened like the second quarter, like sometime in like six or seven, somewhere around there. Then they said that the headbutt, another headbutt happened in the eighth round, and then that busted him Quadras open. This is where the, the, the point deduction happened. My recollection is different. However, I'm going to go with it. The doctor said, okay, Quadras can't continue. This cut's too bad. So it goes to the cards because it's prior to the, the threshold for it. Quadras had been ahead at that point, but Shrisaket was on verge of closing the gap by the time this happens. So it was a very strange thing. Quadras wins it because it's a technical decision because Quadras is up on the cards at the time of the butt. But again, 
My recollection is the headbutt that caused the damage, the, the one, because I recall two headbutts. I recall one that caused the damage, and that was like six or seven-ish. And then later, there might have been another headbutt that made it worse. That's ultimately what stopped it. And then the point deduction. People said at the time that it wouldn't have mattered. Quadras is going to beat him anyway. That On the cards, this is true. However, I saw Shrisaket coming up from behind. I saw Shrisaket about to close the gap. And at some point, he got frustrated and did, I saw, throw an intentional headbutt. One of them intentional, one of them not. That's what I'm saying, that I saw one was intentional, which was the second one. I didn't say the first one. I saw that was not intentional. Other people say there was only one headbutt. I'm pretty sure I saw two when I watched the fight. And then, of course, Jay Nady, one of the most controversial reps in the business, was the referee for this fight. Goes to the decision. Quadras gets the decision. This causes... Teresa to then lose his title. This fight didn't, it didn't stop Teresa momentum, but what it would do is it would set the groundwork for what we would see as him as a fighter where there was a tendency now for headbutts in many of his fights. We would start to see this start to be more of a thing. His next fight immediately after this, he comes back in the ring four months later, which is shocking to me. He goes back to Thailand. He's back in the ring to regain his regional title that he had that he had vacated when he got the uh, the main title, and again, it's I'm pretty sure it was another headbutt even in his next fight, and it didn't stop anything. But I'm pretty sure it was a headbutt. It goes to a technical decision this time in Srisaket's favor. I'm pretty sure it was another headbutt in that fight. It was never televised. He goes on a major knockout streak, defending his title back and forth and back and forth, then. He gets this amazing title opportunity because of a man. I'm pretty sure it was a mandatory against Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez in 2017. He has to then travel to because he was he needed to go to Chocolatito's hometown. This is for the WBC title that he had lost to Quadras. So let me give you some background because we now are at the point where we are seeing the rise of what we would know of as this this four kings of super in 2015 so almost a year to the day that he fought carlos quadras and lost his title Teresa kit fights jose salgado jose salgado was a solid solid freaking fighter like one of the I, not i'm not saying like a level i'm saying solid as in durable handy good good for entertainment etc Around this time, the WBC introduced this whole nonsense of silver, right? Titles and, you know, because what they were, all this sprawl we see now, what they're trying to do is they're trying to position guys to fight without officially doing it. So they create this silver title and Srisaket's going to fight Jose Salgado for this silver title. Srisaket stops Jose Salgado. Again, Salgado is a solid fighter. I challenge you to check his record. Suffice it to say, he's a very solid, available fighter, great warrior in my mind. Salgado had a war with Carlos Quadras, and ironically, Salgado now is the one where he gets headbutted by Carlos Quadras. It was ruled as unintentional. The fight is stopped. It goes to a technical draw. So my my viewing of this is immediately after Srisaket is essentially taken, the title's taken from him, by Carlos Quadras over a headbutt ruled as intentional, which again, I saw two, and one of them arguably was, and one of them was not. 
And this one was at the eighth round where they did this because of the cut and the damage of the cut. Now, Carlos Quadras, immediately after this, like four months later, he fights Jose Salgado for that title. And in four rounds now, there's a clash of heads, regardless of accidental, incidental, or intentional. The doctor stops it like he's supposed to, but it goes to a technical draw. So my summary on this is I felt that the first decision with Srisakit and Quadras I don't agree. I understand why they did because of the rule, but I felt that Shrisaket should have been given at least a draw and the opportunity to rematch Quadras to kind of solve it. I don't I didn't really agree with taking the title and granting it. I didn't agree with that at all. It felt like this was taken from him uh, for Quadras, and it's not Quadras's fault. I'm saying that the politics of the time from my eyes, I didn't think it was fair that in one fight, you do all this, and mind you, both of these fights took place in Mexico, which, of course, Salgado, he was based out of it. But my point is, it felt like things were slanted in Quadras' favor as he was fighting in Mexico pretty much for the duration of his career, which I'm going to cover at a later time. It's not for this. This is about Srisakit. Summary, Srisakit getting the title taken from him over a headbutt where the doctor stops off a cut Although it's round eight, and that's really the delineator, I felt was unfair when the fight immediately after this, Jose Salgado is allowed to basically not have that loss on the record, and it goes to a draw for the same situation where there's a headbutt that causes a cut. And so Shrisakit loses the title. I didn't really agree with this. So now Shrisakit still has the WBC silver, which positions him then to go a different route so the Quadras is now behind him, and he's going to fight Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez in 2017. I wanted to tell the story because Quadras is one of those in the top four at Superfly during this time period. And the war that he had with Srisakit, I think, never got re- it, Well, I know. It never got revisited, and I think it should have because of all the smoke that was happening at the time. But now I'm celebrating because Srisakit gets a chance at the guy that people are calling the number one pound for pound, arguably, at the time, even Floyd Mayweather said that I think Chocolatito is number one. I'm not going to spend excessive amounts of time on Chocolatito because we're here to talk about Shrisakit, but I need to tell a little bit of a story from my eyes. A lot of why people were considering Chocolatito as the number one pound for pound had to do with some of the guys that he fought and the records and his destruction. He was destroying guys, but in 2012, he fought a guy named Juan Francisco Estrada, who is the fourth of this top four, this uh, quadrilogy that we're talking about with these guys. He would come into play later in this mix. Quadras, Chocolatito, Srisakit, and then Juan Francisco Estrada. The Estrada fight, I think, was one of those that stood out in levels. And the fact that Chocolatito was having these top-level fights against arguably top-level fighters and opponents. So I want to just tell the story. This now completes it. We now have all four pieces of the puzzle in play, and you're going to hear about Estrada here momentarily. Chocolatito, again, is regarded as one of the top guys, if not the top guys, pound for pound, in how people are perceiving him. I personally didn't see it. I saw he's a great fighter. I didn't see pound for pound. To me, that's something very particular. Regardless, when I saw this fight was being booked, the first thing that goes in my mind is, Shrisk's going to beat this guy. Because it felt like Chocolatito was going to leave himself open. Reminds me a lot of Boots Ennis in ways. 
I felt like Chocolatito would leave himself open and Teresa Kitt would take advantage because Teresa Kitt's whole, <laughs> what got him the wins that he had was he would wait for you to make a mistake. Like he had a strong punch resistance and he's just coming forward patiently waiting and he might throw a little bit to get you to open up. But the moment you leave your guard down, he's going to land something and he seems either very heavy handed or he just has raw power. But the moment he clips you with something, then he goes in for the kill. That's always been his strategy. He's always waiting for you to make a mistake. Leave yourself open, and then he destroys you. I saw this in every fight. And so I was watching Chocolatito and how he fought, and I'm like, Tris is going to beat this guy. Fight happens, and Choco gets dropped. I'm pretty sure it was round one. <laughs> if not round two, it was early. He got dropped for the first time in his career. Great. The rest of the fight is close. You could argue either way. Like you could say it was a 6-6 if Chaco hadn't gotten dropped. In my mind, if you get dropped and it's a 6-6, there's no way you should win that. Trisket gets his hand raised on a majority decision. I had no problem with that decision because it wasn't like Trisket was dominant. He did just enough to get the win. And this all happened in Madison Square Garden, so no guy had an advantage, A or B. If anything, Chaco, as the A-side, should have gotten the kind of the nod of the judges. But it was the way that the fight went. Shrisaket was so, I thought he was great in that fight. I thought he was hungry. He was not backing down from this myth that this guy is going to destroy him. Chaco fought as hard as he could, but the power was too much. The size was too much. And he kept making silly mistakes. And so I had no issue with the decision. Other people like NSB called it a robbery. It was not a robbery. It was a close fight, arguably 6-6 minus the knockdown. If you say that, that means there's no way that Chaco could have won it. So now they book a rematch. This is going to happen six months later in now the StubHub Center out in Carson. I believe that's California. They're doing photos. They're doing pressers. They're doing all this build leading up to this. Now, there was a celebration, and this is really funny, and this is part of why I like the dude so much. It was known that Trisaket enjoyed to partake of grilled rat when he was younger. And it was like a delicacy. His mom would make him grilled rat. So they did all these things. He had a homecoming because he had won the WBC title off of this. They had a homecoming for him. And they said, okay, let's go ahead and do a photo. They showed photos of him arriving at the airport. And they had grilled rat ready and waiting for him. It was like this really good feel-good moment. For him, and I was really excited for him because you got to understand that as a boxer, especially one like him that had this amazing story of just being absolutely screwed early in his career and then to be able to rebuild himself. This is right around the time he's telling the story now that he says, this is this means a lot to me because I had it rough when I started and now I'm champion. So you got to understand where he was in his mind and how this all worked because he was, he was in a rough spot. He was having it tough and he was able to rebuild, regroup and get it all back together. And that was amazing for me. Absolutely amazing. Now I broke the story a little bit because I wanted to focus on Teresa Kitt and still do. And it's important. I needed to tell the story about how Teresa Kitt now made himself part of this four by beating Chocolatito. He put himself right in the dead center of these four. I need to tell you how this was able to happen since he had the WBC title at one point, arguably got taken from him on the Quadras fight 
but now he's back champion again. What happened was in 2016, Carlos Quadras had fought Chocolatito and Chocolatito beat Quadras. Now here's the thing. <laughs> Once again, there's, there's a headbutt that happens. The headbutt comes off Chocolatito, hits Quadras over the head. The fight was not stopped over this, but Quadras was beating the hell out of Chocolatito, beating the hell out of him. And then Chocolatito took over and was able to do what he needed to do. The fight with Chocolatito and Quadras is one of those fight of the year candidates, arguably. And if you were able to watch the fight, I do recommend it if you can. So this is Gonzalez Quadras one. I do recommend you do because you're going to see that there was something off with Chocolatito. Anybody that watched that fight would have immediately said, okay, for you to jump straight to Srisakit, this dude that's just been knocking guys out, this is dangerous for you, dude. And I don't, anybody that was reasonable that was watching Chocolatito in that Quadras fight knew without, get out the red, the rose colored glasses. They knew that Srisakit was going to hurt this dude. Like it was obvious but a lot of people just ignored it. They, they ignored it. And I don't know why, because it was one of the best fights of the time. So just understand that because Chocolatito beat Quadras, although he didn't have an easy time doing it, he beat Quadras, he gets the WBC title. Sri Saket then beats Chocolatito and gets his title back. Again, now we got these three and they're starting to fight each other, right? There's a rematch booked in six months out now for Chocolatito for the WBC. They're doing the photos, as I said. They're doing the the how he's building, how everybody's training, just like normal, and then the weigh-ins. What I remember is they did photos of the weigh-ins of their 30-day, and they were in the hotel, and Chaco had a photo next to his scale, and he looked pudgy as all get out. That moment, I said on NSB, this guy's going to get hurt. He's going to get hurt. He's not taking this serious. This guy's going to hurt him. He's going to get hurt. He's going to get hurt. And everything I'm hearing, because everybody, no, he got robbed the first time, and Trisky got lucky, and da 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 deep, deep. And I said, this dude is about to get hurt. Rematch happens in September out in the stub hub in Carson. Chaco didn't win a round. He won not one round. He was getting absolutely bamboozled. And then the brutal knockout, it was a brutal sequence that knocked him flat on his back. I have a photo side by side. He looked just like Amir Khan. Knocked down on his back as Katie Bayless counts the 10 on this dude. Mo one of the most shocking wins, I think, of the of the time, certainly, but of any time. Because, again, this is a guy that was called the number one pound for pound, I would argue, consensus all across the board, which I didn't agree with. But the point is, everybody else called him number one pound for pound, and he gets absolutely dominated. Dominated. He didn't win a round. It was only went four, and he lost arguably all of them before he got knocked out cold. On his back, Srisakit Sorongvizyai is now arguably the lineal champion, the man, because he beat the guy that was considered the man in the division. I'm just cheering and excited for this dude. Now, here's where I started to have a concern about his career and the trajectory of his career. Chocolatito, he's going to make a comeback, but he's out for a little bit. Srisakit immediately fights Juan Francisco Estrada, one of the, you know, one of the four, right? So now... Shrisakit has now been in the ring at this point since 2018. He'll have now been in the ring with each of the other three in this four. In the fight against Estrada, it's it's close. It's a very close win. This happens in Inglewood. It's a very close fight. Shrisakit gets the win, but he doesn't, he was not anywhere near what he used to be. And it seemed like something was lost. A little bit of the steam was lost, and nobody really understood why. 
Or was it just that Estrada simply had his number? From my lens, when I saw that fight, it felt like Teresa Kitt was just thrown off by Estrada's style. He, there was something about the style he wasn't able to get it done the way I think he should have. Then I noticed photos where it looked like Teresa Kitt was paired up with Freddie Roach. He was all cleaned up. He was no longer training in the jungle. He was in a nice, clean gym. He's doing clean interviews and pressers. He was he was still doing grilled rat, but he wasn't doing he wasn't. It didn't seem like he had the hunger anymore. It didn't seem like he had that that killer instinct that he used to have. And so now somebody is trying to massage him into this precise fighter, kind of like a Manny Pacquiao style, because there are parallels in the way Srisakit appears, just like with Manny. Well, the problem I had with this transition that I was seeing is if you go back to a fighter, uh, and I forget the guy, Zhao Shiming. Zhao Shiming out of, I think, Japan. Zhao Shiming was training with Freddie Roach, and they were trying to position him as the next Manny Pacquiao. And then he got absolutely dominated against somebody that was way under his class because they changed his style. They tried to change him into something he's not. That's what I felt was happening with Streets again. It felt like somebody was trying to push him to be more of a refined boxer, something that was more appealing to the media, somebody that had less hunger. If you think of guys like Edwin Valero who died, Edwin Valero remained that raw, rugged, absolutely don't care if I get bloody type fighter that would go out there. And as a result, when he died, he went down with an arguably history as one of the very few to have a hundred percent knockout ratio. He was just destroying guys left and right because that was just who he was. The moment anybody tries to change a fighter against away from who they are, that's when you start seeing them struggle or take losses because you got to be who you are. And I think when he started shifting, we started seeing kinks in his armor. Other fighters were able to expose some of these things. And Estrada, it felt like, was able to expose some of this. Now, Estrada, because Estrada does take the loss, Trisk is able to beat him. The problem is, it's so close and arguably could have gone either way that I believe, in my mind, that this exposed the key weakness that Trisakit had, which is a mover, is going to be able to beat him. If you're able to stay away from his power, if you're able to stop with his traps, if you're able to stay at distance and box him at range, you're eventually going to beat this guy. So remember that. That's going to be the story of the fight. Shreesa goes, gets a couple more fights in the books. He goes back to Thailand, which I thought was a mistake. The reason I think it was a mistake is that he didn't get the level of experience he needed outside of Thailand. Like if I were his management team, I think going back to his comfort zone of Thailand was a big mistake. Now, one of them was the title defense. I don't know if, I think it was a voluntary. I just, I think that he should have fought somewhere else other than his main comfort zone. I think he should have fought somewhere in either the U.S., the U.K. maybe, or somewhere that was not where he's comfortable so that he can get diverse experience. I think that was lacking for him. The other thing that I think was a problem at this time, this is right around the demise of HBO as a boxing broadcast platform. They, they basically backed off of it because they didn't see it was profitable anymore. HBO had HBO was one of the few that was willing to broadcast fights like this and promote them on a larger scale. And that gave him financial opportunities. It gave him promotional opportunities. It gave him exposure to a wider audience. It gave him a little bit more than what they could have had before. Now, when he goes back to Thailand, he, they're easy wins for him, but that's because, number one, he's comfortable. Number two, the fighters in Thailand are nowhere close to him in style. 
2019, there's the rematch with Estrada. This is similarly for the WBC. This goes close again. It's close again. Now, here's the problem with the rematch with Estrada. In the fight, Shrisiket is a southpaw by nature. In the fight, every round he stayed as a southpaw. He arguably won those rounds pretty dang easy. Mid-fight, he switches orthodox. And I'm screaming at the TV, like, what the hell are you doing? Even the commentators are like, I don't know what, why he's switching to orthodox. It doesn't make any sense. He's, getting, he's losing every round when he's orthodox. Gets to the end of the fight. It's a close decision loss, but it's unanimous for Estrada because Estrada, from the visuals, appeared like he was doing more, better. Then Shrisiket goes back to my point earlier. A mover looks like it's able to beat him. Estrada was moving very effectively and was able to thus beat him because he was effective in his movement. After the fight, Shrisiket and his team said, well, we, we thought he was going to train for a southpaw, and so we switched orthodox to kind of throw him off. And that didn't make any sense to me because, again, every round he stayed southpaw, every single round, which was rounds one through six, arguably, he was winning those clearly. I have no idea why he thought it was a good idea to do that. I have no clue whatsoever. So I'm at this point, I'm frustrated because I know that, okay, we, we've chinked the armor. Now it's going to be easy to beat this guy. You just have to move and you're going to beat this guy. But I'm celebrating him because he's one of those four, even still he got, he, and hopefully he'll get to do it a third with Estrada and get his title back. If he's smarter and stays southpaw, I knew he could beat Estrada. Unfortunately, and this is when I knew it was near the end, he goes back again to Thailand, and he's fighting three guys. One of them is a decent fighter, but the point is he goes back to Thailand again, even though it's like, dude, you're not getting the diverse experience you need. You need to stay away from Thailand. Stop going back to Thailand. Get Fight local. Fight Mexico. Fight somewhere else to get diverse experience. Like, if I was him... I would have fought in Mexico if I could have because I think that would have given him style comparison of, of opponents. Like there's a different style in Mexico versus Thailand. The Thai fighters were never going to give him that much of a challenge. I felt like, no, you should fight you know, down here. Why, why won't you? He didn't. He fights three more times in Thailand. During this time, and I'm pretty sure it was around 20, late 2010, possibly even somewhere mid-2021, he announces that he's going to be fighting someone and we're hoping that it's going to be Estrada for the third because I felt like, okay, it's a rubber match. We got to solve this. Instead, Bam Rodriguez, separate to this, Jesse, Rod Jesse Rodriguez, Franco is his real last name, Jesse Bam Rodriguez, he absolutely destroys Carlos Cuadras. It was a unanimous decision, but it wasn't close in how he destroyed it. And so now his name is out there as, okay, I'm here, Come and get, come and get some of this. Now, I got to tell a little bit of story because the, the whole thing got jacked up with Bam Rodriguez winning against Quadras. So I got to tell the story again so you understand how we got to this jacked up point. It's jacked up in a good way, but it's still frustrating because it's kind of like ping pong in, in ways. So Carlos Quadras, Carlos Quadras beats, beats, Shrisiket gets the title, right? Chocolatito beats Quadras. This is WBC. Beats Quadras, takes the title. Shrisiket beats Chocolatito, gets the title. Shrisiket loses to Estrada, 
Here's where it gets kind of weird. Teresa Kett is supposed to fight Estrada for the third time. So this is the rubber match I was talking about. Unfortunately, politics gets in the way. People want to see, for reasons I can't explain, Estrada fight Chocolatito for the third time because now, I, for me, I, I felt that Estrada, Chocolatito, yeah, that's all fine, but I felt like Shrisakit should have gotten his mandatory opportunity. And I'll tell you why in a second that I think they made a mistake, but I think Shrisakit should have got his mandatory opportunity. He didn't get his mandatory opportunity. They were trying to fight, they were trying to book then Shrisakit and Quadras 2, and I thought that would have been a good fight in lieu. For whatever reason, so now, because of this whole fiasco, Estrada vacates the WBC. Estrada's made the franchise champion. This is right around when that nonsense starts showing up. And mind you, we don't, we're losing HBO, so we don't have that backing that we used to have. And so now they're kind of da- dashing around and they're desperate. Well, somewhere in the middle of this, Quadris makes the decision that he's going to defend. He wins the WBC title. And he's going to now defend that WBC title against Jesse Bam Rodriguez. Jesse Rodriguez, Franco, Jesse Bam Rodriguez. I don't know how this all happened, where Srisakit, for whatever reason, got shuffled to the bottom of the board in in lieu of Chocolatito, because he's now getting to fight Estrada. And I'll get to that in a second. But ultimately, Quadras takes a dominant loss to Bam Rodriguez. And then Bam Rodriguez gives Srisakit the opportunity to challenge for the WBC because, you know, Srisakit was the mandatory. He's still the mandatory waiting. So kudos to Bam for stepping up and saying, yeah, he's mandatory. Let's go and get it done. But again, the fight I saw with Srisakit against Estrada, where it seemed like he was now exposed, and then the fact he went back for whatever reason to the wrong place, arguably the wrong place in Thailand, instead of doing what I thought he should have done, now I'm starting to wonder, okay, was this a step too far? Now I know enough about Srisakit that he should arguably have been able to get it done against Bam the same way he got it done against Chocolatito. There was one key difference in that fight that just happened. That just happened yesterday. Bam Rodriguez fought smart. He fought at range, just like Quadras did, arguably, just like Estrada did. But he mixed it in with the power shots that would have been good. So it's like he took the two strategies. He took the strategy of Estrada, which is to stay on the move, don't get set, don't let Rungvijay get off, but also mixed it in with the speed and the power and the combinations that Chocolatito had been known for. The combination of the two was enough to basically frustrate Srisakit and cause him to make silly mistakes where he was getting countered off every time he came in. And you could see that there was... Like, he was the same fighter. Some people said he didn't look the same. No, he was the same fighter. The The only reason he looked like he might have been slower is because he couldn't get in. He couldn't get in to start throwing what he wanted. And yes, his punches didn't have any snap. That's because he was getting countered, and he was trying to watch out for the counter shots. He didn't want to take them, even though he was kind of walking through them early. He didn't want to take them. And then the body work was starting to wear down. So Bam did the perfect strategy of combining tactics from all three of the other ones in order to beat Trisket. And it was a dominant win, not just the fact it was a stoppage, but Rungvijay arguably only won one or two rounds at the most. And it was a stoppage in eight. And I, from what I saw, a lot, you know, I didn't see that there was very much difference in Trisket's style. I saw that simply Bam was too fast, number one. Number two, 
he was using the tricks that were exposed in previous fights in order to win this business. And so I was, I was happy to see that Triska got the shot he was cheated out of. I was disappointed to see that, unfortunately, it was not against the fighter that I wanted to see, which was Estrada. I still wanted to see Triska in Estrada 3 because I felt that was, that was, he fought the wrong strategy against Estrada. And I would have rather seen him, Estrada not duck it and simply fight it, get the third, let's get it solved, get it out of the way, and then go on if we need to, to fight Bam with Trisha Kidd as the champion, because I think it would have meant more. In my mind, I think it would have meant more for Bam to do it that way than the way that they did it. So where are we left? Well, now I don't want to take away from Trisha too much, but I want to just summarize where we're left. Bam Rodriguez has now beaten two of the four of the Kings at Super Flyweight. He beat Carlos Squadras in a dominant unanimous decision. He beat um, Teresa Getsorong Vijay by knockout stoppage. So he's beaten two of the four. He said in an interview that he's considering moving back down to allow his brother to make some inroads, which I don't agree with, but if that's what he wants to do. It is what it is. Of course, people are going to be pushing him to fight either Chocolatito or Estrada. Now, I'm going to briefly talk about Estrada because Estrada in 2021 was able to beat Chocolatito in a very close fight. It was a good fight, very close fight. We don't know what's going on with Quadras. After the destruction from Bam Rodriguez, we don't know what's going on with him. After the destruction with Srisakant, we don't know what's going on with him. So from my mind, you still you still have Estrada kind of game and still in it, uh, but Estrada's not, he's not getting any younger either. He's been in the game a long time. So we got to see what that looks like if that fight ever happens. The difference, I think, with Estrada versus some of the others is that Estrada is a very solid boxer. Unlike the rest of them, like with the other ones, they're solid in what they do. But Estrada seems to be versatile, more versatile than the other two from or the other three from my eyes. Chocolatito is, is a bit of an aberration just because it's more like explosive boxing. You know, he, he's able to move and, and do everything. But Estrada seems to just be versatile. He seems like he's able to adapt and adjust better than the others, I guess is the best way to describe it. Chocolatito, it's just if you fall into his strategy, he's going to get you out of there. But of the ones we're talking, these four kings, he's the most versatile. So if I had to pick it, I would I would have wanted to see Shrisket Estrada 3 just to solve that once and for all. And we didn't get to see it. And we probably won't get to at this point unless Estrada takes a loss to Bam. Because at this point, Estrada's already fought Trisket twice. He fought Carlos Quadras twice. And he fought Chocolatito twice. So, and he, and he fought Trisket. So, if we say, all right, he fought these guys twice, let's move on to Bam, which I think is the smart thing to do at this point, that would be an intriguing fight just from Styles because now Bam's not going to be able to use that move and hit strategy against Estrada. I don't see that. He'd have to be more aggressive. Because it takes somebody aggressive to really deal with Estrada's style, I think. But it would be an intriguing fight for however long it lasts. Um, meanwhile, back to Shrisket. I don't know where he goes from here. He has a very inspirational story. I think he had a tremendous rise. People are discrediting his resume simply because of things outside of his control. And I understand that. But a lot of this was outside of his control. He couldn't do except what he was told to do. And in the lesser weight classes, you're, it's not like you can just fight who you want. You fight who's put in front of you. 
the mistakes I saw that were made in his career were around always going back to Thailand for rounds of the books. I don't know why that made sense. And it felt like for some reason, somebody was either somebody was telling him to do that, or he thought it was the right thing to do. I think he needed more diverse experience. I think he needed to fight more outside of his own comfort to get more diversity in the styles of fights. Like I think if he had fought more in Mexico, we would have seen a different outcome even if he eventually lost to somebody like a bam, right? I think it would have been a different style. I think he would have been in it a little bit more. I think that style just bamboozled him. And some of that is just, if you're just fighting Thai fighters, you're used to a certain come forward deal. Chocolatito never, he never adjusted in what he was doing and arguably was trying to blitz Rungujai out in the second fight, which was tailor-made for him. So of the summary, it's like, I, I, he's one of my favorite fighters It's Riskit, and I just feel like mistakes were made in the development of him where he was never able to, he reached a pinnacle, let's be clear. He was, he was the lineal, he was the guy. He was the top, even now. He's one of the best at Superfly. I don't buy the age argument, although it plays in when you're at the lighter weight classes. I don't buy that at all because he can still get guys out of there. He's still stopping guys. He's still winning when he's just not at the super high level and he's still able to go at the top level with the Estrada fight in 2019. So I don't, I don't think it's just an age situation. I think what's happening is that he's not getting enough diversity of experience. And this, if he chooses to retire, I don't know that he will, he hasn't announced it, but if he chooses to retire, he's got nothing to hang his head on. He's done an amazing job considering where he came from, how he started and the stuff he went through. He's like the telltale story of the way boxing used to be of we used to start with the roughest possible and you create a success story. He's made a lot of money compared to the money he could have made in Thailand alone. He's made a lot of money over his career. He's been featured on the world stage, but I just, I think he has a great story and I think he's a great kid. Well, he's, you know, he's a kid compared to me, but you know, he's a great kid and I think he's one of the best. And that's why I wanted to feature him on Lifeblood and tell the story that people didn't know that, no, this guy started from nothing. He, he started from nothing and went on an amazing run and then took out the pound for pound number one king twice. Who can who can say that? Nobody else, very few can say that. Very few can say that they took out a pound for pound king during their career after eating out of trash cans for to, to survive and surviving that and coming out stronger, arguably. And if he continues fighting, I'll celebrate him. And the... It, the feedback I would give to his team, he needs rounds. He needs diversity of experience. He needs to fight in other countries. He can't just fight in Thailand when it suits. He's got to fight in, like, get him in Mexico, fight some Mexican fighters if you can. Fight him in the U. fight some fighters in the UK. Try to get some lesser fighters in the U.S. Get a diversity of styles and experience if he's going to continue. I don't know that he is. But if he is, get a diversity of experience. Right now, he could theoretically retire and have nothing to be ashamed of. If he chooses to do that, I would celebrate that as well. Whether he'll make a Hall of Fame, I'm not really sure it rises that level. Although the fights that he's had with the other three kings will certainly be talked about, just like with the Gaddy Ward trilogies and the Wilder Fury trilogies, they'll be talked about for a long time because they were some of the most exciting fights. And it's a shame that so many in boxing dismiss the lighter weight classes because as i said they're the guys that go out there and try to entertain the fans each and every time because they don't make the millions of dollars where they can just half-ass it 
Did Trish get half-assed in some fights? Absolutely, but I think there was underlying things around it. Uh, he had lost his girlfriend of 14 years at one point, the situation early in his career, the loss of the title to Quadras the first time, the loss to Estrada. I think he had a lot of adversity. I didn't see that those played a significant factor in changing his fight style. It seemed like somebody was changing his style to try to clean him up, and I believe that was the, the beginning of the end, as well as him staying in Thailand for rounds in the books. I think he just liked the diversity of experiences. The only shortfall I would ever see of him and again, if he chooses to continue, I think that needs to be resolved by his team. I bow down to you, sir. I'm a big fan. Always have been a big fan. Hopefully you continue at least for a little while. I wouldn't go too long because I think he's made enough money where he can enjoy time with his family. He has been in wars. It doesn't seem like he's been significantly damaged, but obviously I think he should enjoy the career that he's had. I would still like to see the third fight with Estrada because I think he shouldn't have lost that fight. If he stayed Southpaw, I don't think he would have. But at this point, with that kind of a stoppage loss, we'll just have to see and where his mind's at if he continues. And then on a side note, please go back to eating grilled rat and training in a jungle, please, if you can. I know you're older, but please.